Genesis chapter 4 is what we're going to look at today and learn from. And I'll just get right into the scripture. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. In whatever version you have, just follow along best you can. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So I want to stop there for a moment, and let's think about what we have just read and heard, what's going on here. It's a familiar story, and oftentimes we maybe uh, just pick out certain things and we don't see the depth of this. But first of all, we see here, obviously, the two brothers, Cain, who was the firstborn, and then Abel, born later. And Cain decided that he wanted to bring an offering to God. And we don't know exactly why one of the offerings was acceptable and the other was not. But there's some speculation about it. Some believe, and probably rightly so, that Abel's offering was accepted because it was a blood offering. When Adam and Eve first sinned, uh, they tried to cover their nakedness. They were ashamed before God, and they thought somehow this would fix the problem. They tried to cover their nakedness with uh, fig leaves. They didn't understand what was going on with this whole thing of death now entering the world because of their sin. But anyway... The scripture says that after God spoke with them, that God took the skins of an animal and covered them. So it implies that blood had to be shed and that innocent animal had to die in order to provide a covering for Adam and Eve in in their clothing to help them to feel better about being in God's presence. And so many speculate that this is why Abel's offering was accepted by God because it was a blood sacrifice because obviously if Abel offered fat portions that means the animal had to be slain and and cut apart and and offered uh, to God. The thing that maybe we miss in this is notice it wasn't just any part of the flock but it was of the firstborn. And there's a whole theological connotation there, some foreshadowing of God giving his firstborn, his very best for us, Jesus Christ. Also, we fast forward to the time that they were in Egypt and when Egypt rebelled against God and the plagues came on Egypt, the final plague that caused Pharaoh to release the nation of Israel was the death of the firstborn. There's always this tying in of the firstborn and God's trying to teach us a lesson. But be that as it may, here's the thing that we need to think about. Abel obviously was taking of his very best. 
the very best that he had of the firstborn. It was a way that Abel, or it's a way that Abel was saying, God, you know, you've blessed me with what I have, and so I'm going to take the very first, the very first of the blessings that is coming, and I'm offering that to you as a way of trusting and saying, I believe you're going to continue to provide for me. Notice that Cain's offering that he brought, it doesn't mention it was the first part of the the grain or the vegetables or whatever this produce was that he was growing. It doesn't mention that he brought the first of it, which is called like the first fruits. It just says that he got some of that and he offered it to God. So maybe God didn't accept Cain's offering because Cain was just kind of giving him, you know, his leftovers or what was convenient, wasn't giving God his best. Or it could be because it wasn't a blood sacrifice type of offering. Whichever way you look at it, here's what is clear according to what God says next. It was clear that God had told them the type of offering that would be acceptable to God. Now let's take a look at it. Because this is the response to Cain's anger. And look at God's grace that is present even in this issue. Verse uh, 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So right there we see with God's response to Cain's anger is God is saying to him, Look, you know what is going to make everything okay between you and me. I've communicated that. So why get angry? Why not just do what I've asked you to do, and then we're good. And then God gives a warning, though. In the midst of this grace that he is offering, God says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, this is really key here. Number one, God personifies to Cain sin. It's as if sin is this predator that is just lurking there, always nearby, at the door, so to speak, crouching down, ready to spring upon Cain or on any of us when we become unaware of our surroundings. Sin often catches us off guard. Uh, Satan works in that way, who is the originator of sin and disobedience to God. And so God is warning Cain, if you don't get a handle on your anger here, and if you don't digest your attitude, and I'm giving you grace right here, Cain. I mean, yeah, you didn't offer the right sacrifice, and I'm just telling you the truth. This is not what I told you was acceptable, and I want you to be acceptable to me, so just offer to me what I've told you to offer, and we're good. But if you don't do it, watch out. See, they hadn't learned about the sin nature yet. They didn't fully understand what was going on inside of them. And sometimes you and I today, as we live life, we aren't fully aware of why do we do the things that we do, and we question, you know, why is there evil in the world, and all of these questions. And it's because we haven't looked deeply into the Word of God and studied to see what God teaches us about it. Now, here's another thing. In God's warning to Cain... God told Cain, you need to master this thing. You should not let sin rule over you, but you need to rule over it. God would not have told Cain, you must master your sin if it were not possible. Now, we understand that on our own power, it's not possible to gain 
control over our sin. But here's the thing that God was beginning to teach Cain, and he teaches all of us that by his power and his help in our lives, we can master sin. We can get a handle on it. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect and never commit any mistakes, but what it means is God is telling you and I, you can get control over that thing in your life that seems to have such power on you that you're just helpless and you're bound by it. That is a lie from the devil. The devil will tell you, you can't get free of this. Everybody else is doing it. Just give in to it, enjoy it. Just try to be happy, go with the flow. And God says, no. God says, that's a lie. I've got something better for you than just giving yourself over to your every desire and your impulse or the impulses that are in the world. And you need to get a handle on this thing or it will take you places you don't want to go and it will keep you places longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So the sad thing is Cain didn't listen to God's warning And Cain wasn't able to master the sin that was in his life. Let's take a look at it now in verse 8. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. (laughs) Wow. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now, God obviously knew what had happened, but he was warning Cain to confess and to own up to it. And Cain, being a smart alecky, angry at God, angry at his brother, angry at everything, um, he said, um, well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's, you know, smart alecky response, kind of like, well, I didn't know it was my day to watch him, God. And so God basically gives a smart alecky kind of an answer back, but it's a serious one. He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Here's another interesting point in all this. If God had required them to make a blood sacrifice, which again was probably likely, Cain was unwilling to offer a blood sacrifice to God as he had requested. But oh, in his anger and in his impulse, he wasn't afraid to slay his own brother and offer his own brother's blood. So think about that. Again, this is what anger will do. This is what impulse will do. This is what sin will do. It will cause us to do things that are even contradictory to some of the things that we thought we would never do. And this is why God says you need to be on guard. It's crouching at the door. You need to master this thing and you need my help to do it. He goes on and he says, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, God was just explaining to Cain the consequences of what he had done. The soil that he had worked and planted seeds and used everything that God had given so that he could be blessed and enjoy the produce of the ground. Now, because he had committed murder and slain his brother, and here's another thing that we can learn from. Cain exemplified a problem in the human condition. God had told Cain and Abel what offering would be acceptable to him. 
Abel took God at his word and obeyed. Cain did not. When God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's offering, Cain got angry at God and he got angry at his brother Abel. And so Cain's solution to the problem is, I'm going to get rid of the guy that's following God. Because Abel was making Cain feel guilty and he felt jealous. And so Cain's solution to the problem is, well, I'm just going to get, re- get rid of the reminder uh, that, you know, okay, he's following God. I don't even want to be reminded of that, so I'm just going to get rid of him. That'll, that'll serve the purpose. That'll solve it. And we still see this sentiment in the world today, do we not? God has given us the way that we can be forgiven of our sins, and he has told us what the proper way to enter into a relationship with him is. It's through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross of Calvary for your sin and my sin. And when Christ died on the cross, he was making that payment to God that we could not pay. He was fully human, fully divine. He offered his sinless life on the cross for our sinful lives so that through faith in him we could overcome sin because Christ conquered the curse of sin, which is death. Three days later, he came out of the tomb. He said, believe in me, trust in me. Your sins will be forgiven. You can have a relationship with God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. God clearly defines the only way to be acceptable to him and to be in a right relationship with him is through trusting Christ as our Savior. Can I get an amen with that? Just asking. So God has clearly defined there's one way to be acceptable to me and there's not any other way. But what do we find in the world today? People come up with their own religions, their own ideas, their own viewpoints. And for those of us who have taken God at his word and said, well, God, we don't understand it, but we're going to trust you. We're going to believe you. We're going to take you at your word. We know we have sin in our lives. We're confessing that. We're asking you to forgive us. We put our trust in you, Jesus. Thank you for overcoming sin. Help us to live in a way that honors you. Fill us with your spirit so we can live a better life, a right life to honor you. And what is the world's response? Kill them. Persecute them. We're sick of that. Why do they think they're the only way? Well, isn't isn't there 20 different ways? I mean, who are they to say that there is only one way? I mean, just look at all the world religions. So let's get rid of the Christians. And that's why worldwide, to this very day, believers in Christ, followers of Christ, are the most persecuted group of people in history. There are more people being put to death because of following Christ today than there was back during the Roman Empire when we read about all the persecution in the early church. More of that is going on today. Church, open your eyes. People, open your eyes. This is the sin of Cain that still exists in the world today. So God said, again, he said the consequences of this sin is when you Uh, work the ground. It's no longer going to yield yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, God was just stating a fact. Now, look at Cain's response. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. Oh, hold on a second. Let's stop there. Did God tell Cain, you're going to be driven from my presence? He never said that. Once again, Cain misunderstood God, didn't listen to him carefully, 
God just pointed out the consequences, and then Cain begins to jump to some incorrect conclusions. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Oh, he did get that at least. He heard that. And whoever finds me will kill me. God never told Cain that other people were going to kill him. It was an assumption that Cain made. And isn't it interesting that it was okay for Cain to kill his brother in a moment of anger, and he didn't think about his brother's feelings, but now all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, somebody could kill me. And once again, this is what sin does in our life. It's okay for you to do this to someone else. It's okay for you to live this certain way. But, oh, if somebody else points it out or doesn't like it, then, you know, you want to do whatever to them. But it's okay for you to do it to other people. But, oh, don't do it to me. This, again, is part of that sin that crouches at our heart's door. Let me ask you, what is it that's crouching at your door right now? What is the belief system that's crouching at your door that's out of line with God's will? What is that thing that you just can't seem to shake, an addiction, a a temptation that you just have battled off and on most of your whole life? What is it that's crouching at your door? This is what God wants to warn us about and challenge us to take a look at it and then to deal with it. Because God wants to get you free of it. He wants you to be able to master it. But again, you cannot do it on your own. You have to do it with his help. The Lord said to him, in verse 15, it's recorded, not so. So God is correcting him. You didn't hear me right. Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. So God, again, in his grace, is saying, look, I told you the consequences of your sin, and yes, you're going to be a restless wanderer, but I'm not going to approve of other people killing you and do the same thing to you that you did to your brother. So it goes on and it says, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. We don't know what that mark is, but here's the point. Look... Look at the big principle here. God was telling Cain, even in the midst of his sin, I'm going to protect you, Cain. I still care about you. I still love you. Yeah, you're going to suffer the consequences of your sin, but there's an implication here that God's saying all along, I'm still here whenever you're ready to yield back to me. So did Cain do that? Oh, now we see something real clear in verse 16. It wasn't that God drove Cain out of his presence. Look at what verse 16 says. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Oh, who made the decision there? That's right, Cain. It wasn't God saying, get out of my sight, I never want to see you again. Once again, Cain had the wrong mindset. He misinterpreted what God was saying. He allowed anger, jealousy, unbelief, all of those things. And so Cain left the Lord's presence. And he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's interesting, it goes on and it says, Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. This isn't the same Enoch that we read about that lived a godly life and and then was taken into heaven. Later on in the scriptures, Enoch was a name that other people had. But Cain's son was Enoch. Cain was then building a city, 
and named it after his son, Enoch. Isn't it interesting? So Cain now feels rejected by God. He's having a pity party. He has left the presence of God. And yet the first thing he wants to do is to be in relationship with other people because God built us to be in communion, first of all with him, but then with each other. Cain now has made this choice. So what's he do? He didn't follow God to begin with. He didn't follow God's way of offering an acceptable sacrifice that he might be accepted of God. So Cain continues on the path of formulating his own society, his own rules. He has a child and they begin to procreate and have a family. And he builds the first city because, again, we need to be in communion with each other. And he knew he couldn't do agricultural work. So actually a lot of Cain's descendants we read in the scriptures say that many of his children became knowledgeable in metalworking and making musical instruments. It's interesting what we learn from the scriptures. I find it a little bit amusing, this interesting, the first guy to build a city was a murderer. And is there any wonder that in the city there's a lot of problems with crime? Now, I know, I know, people are people, we're all sinners, and so when we're all close together, that sin tends to come out uh, because we're in conflict with each other. But I just find it interesting that his first act, because again, he wanted to form his own society, his own rules, his own standards. Is that not what we do today? For those who reject God's word, say it's too high, too lofty, or whatever, So we can't do that, so we're going to do this. And we need to be on guard against that. Cain didn't gain control over sin in his life, and neither can we on our own. It can only be done with God's work and his spirit in our lives with our cooperation. So how can we have victory over sin? Well, it starts with trusting God's word and obeying it, putting it into practice with the help of his Holy Spirit. David who definitely had sin in his life. He committed an affair with Bathsheba, and David actually had Bathsheba's husband murdered. So David was guilty of murder. What made him different than Cain, even though they shared that same sin as far as murder, what made a difference was David's heart was continually going back to God and saying, oh, God, I can't believe I, can't believe I did this. I'm so sorry. My heart's desire is to be in line with your word. And we see this throughout many of the Psalms that David writes, and we see it in the life of David that we read about in the Old Testament. But it's most clearly reflected in this one simple verse in Psalm 119, verse 133. David is writing here basically a song, a prayer, and he says, direct my footsteps according to your word. So David is asking God for help, and he's also saying, I want to pattern my life after what your word teaches me and how to live, how to treat other people, And then look at what David says there. He's taking God at God's advice to Cain. You need to master the sin that's crouching at your door. And so David says, I don't want this sin to rule over me. I I don't want to be captive by it. I want to gain control over it with your help. The Apostle Paul also writes in the New Testament in the book of Romans about this problem. And it's worded this way in Romans chapter 7 verses 18 through 25. Now, I've just got a portion of this up here, but listen to what the Apostle Paul says about his struggle with this sin nature that is always crouching at the door of our heart. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me 
That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 20, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me who does it. In the same way that God personified sin as this predator just waiting to pounce on us and devour us and to take control of us and to destroy us, the Apostle Paul personifies it. And he says, you know, I, I find this struggle within me, this sin nature, and, and I, I want to do what's right, but man, I just seem to give in to temptations and I have this battle that's going on within me, this struggle. And it seems like when I want to do the right thing, I might for a while, but then I end up doing what I don't want to do. And he says, evil is right there. Uh, well, he, he says, when I find myself doing this, it's really, it's kind of like it's not what I'm doing, but it's what sin is doing in, him, in me. He's personifying it. He's taking ownership in it. That's important. He's not just blaming sin, but he's trying to identify it and reconcile it so we can understand how to deal with it. Verse 21, so he goes on and he says, So I find this law or this principle at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. There's that imagery again. It's crouching at the door. It's just waiting for a weak moment, a time when we're not aware, and then without realizing we're trapped. Verse 22, he says, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members or within my body. And then I have this on the screen. Maybe you felt like this, male or female. You can put, you know, what a wretched man, what a wretched woman. But Paul's like, what a wretched person I am. Who is going to rescue me? From this struggle, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And then he makes the declaration. Because see, if it had ended right there, there'd be no hope. We'd just try the next thing coming down the line. But he says there is an answer to this sin problem. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have mastery over sin in our life. Through Christ, that power of sin can be broken. It doesn't mean that we never deal with it. Oh, no, it means we're still going to deal with it, but it doesn't have to rule over us. In Christ, the power of sin is broken, and now we have the power through Christ to rule over sin and not only manage it, but, but to get free of it. Now, again, it doesn't mean we're going to live a perfect life. It doesn't mean we do everything perfectly but you can be set free from that bondage that sin is bringing in your life. But you have to take it seriously, and you have to begin to practice things that Jesus told us to practice. We're not saved or put into a right relationship with God by the things that we do. The one way, the one thing that we can do to be in that right relationship with God is to accept the offering that God provided and told us, here's the offering that's going to make you acceptable to me. Believe in my son, Jesus. Put your trust in him. He died on the cross for you and he rose again. What I want for you is to offer me faith in my son and what I've provided. And if you'll do that, then we're good. You're in a right relationship with me. But if you don't, if you don't accept that way, if you don't do what is right by trusting Christ... And watch out, because sin is crouching at your door. Master it. Trust Christ. 
follow my ways. And as we learn then, as, as we receive Christ as a gift, that God has given us an awesome gift. He's even provided the sacrifice for us. He just wants us to trust and believe in him. Then we in turn, in appreciation, offer our lives back to Jesus. And we pray and we study his word and we say, Lord, how can I honor you with my life? This is what pleases God. I've got a news flash for you. God is not pleased with everything and anything that you do. There's a news flash for you. I've had people say, well, God is love. So, you know, it doesn't matter who we love or how we love because God is love. Well, God is love, that's right. But, you know, you can take a truth and you can twist it. And because God is a God of love, he tells us what's right and what's wrong, and he has a way, and his standards are higher than our standards. And when we try to live our life by our standards, we're missing the standard that God has, and he's giving us a warning. It's crouching at the door, folks. Stop believing the lie. Stop listening to the deceit of the devil. He's going to lull you into a false sense of security, and you're going to be on your way to hell. You will be separated from me for eternity if you reject my one all-time great sacrifice that I've made for you. There is consequences for our sin, but there's hope in Christ. And because God loves you, he says, if you'll come to me the way I've provided, then we're good. So be careful. I love our praise band, and I love Christian music. Um, I love music that glorifies God, but we even have to be careful in our theology that we sing and that we listen to. Because I yesterday I was doing some work out in the yard and I had the radio on and I had it on a Christian station. Some of the songs were awesome, man. I mean, theologically, they were just right on. And I'm like, that's awesome. And then there was a couple of songs that was just so generic and warm and fuzzy. And it just made it sound like, yeah, yeah, you know, and Jesus, it's all love and it's all good. And I'm like... <laughs> I wonder how many people that's actually kind of leading them astray, giving them a false sense of security. And this is no knock, Tracy, on the praise band, right? Because we, we pay attention to the words that we sing here. We want to make sure they're theologically lined up with the Word of God. So what I'm saying is, if we have to be careful with even in the church, the songs that we sing and the ways that we think and the things that we do then definitely you need to be careful of what you expose yourself to in the world. You know, what are you spending most of your time on on social media? Whether it's all the forms, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and, you know, all the social media stuff. What are the websites that you spend your time filling your mind with? Because it absolutely impacts your thought life. And if you're not careful, sin is just crouching right there at the door ready to pounce. So you've got to retrain your brain. God saves us, but he expects us to put forth some energy and some effort with the power of his Holy Spirit. And so the first step to ruling over sin nature in your life is actually honesty with God and believing in his word. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, and this is where it has to start, church. And this is why I've just taken time today to just expositorily teach from the Word a little bit today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you realize that you're going to give an account to God one day? If you have not trusted in the offering that he's provided that says, if you do this, you and I are good. Trust my son Jesus. If you don't do that, there's coming a day of reckoning and you're going to have to give an account. And you're not going to like the outcome. Because in that moment, you're going to be separated from God for all eternity. It breaks his heart. He doesn't want you to be separated from him, but he is holy. And he has said, if you want to be right with me, then here's my standard. Trust it and you're in. Reject it. And though I love you, you're out. If some of you have a problem with that, just think about... um, Someone, you, you are um, going somewhere and you've taken a shower and you're all clean and you've done your job and you want to be able to present yourself well to this big event that you're going to, whether it's church or something else. And then somebody knocks on your door and they've been out working in the sewer all day and they're covered with slime and muck and they got it all over their boots and they knock on the door and they're like, hey, how, how's it going? Can I come in? And they start tromping all over your house. I don't think you're going to respond to that very well. Now, some of you might. And don't, don't go with this thing like, well, Jesus would let them in. You know, don't, just let's be honest for a moment. Let's be honest for a moment. Your first reaction is going to be stay away. I'm clean. My house is clean. Don't bring that muck in here. Right? Am I lying? Trying to be honest, trying to tell the truth, trying to be authentic. So why is it that we understand that, but then when it comes to a holy and righteous God who is perfect and sinless, that somehow we think he's going to say, yeah, come on in with your slop. We're good. He's God. He's much higher than we are. So if we can understand this simple everyday concept, we ought to get a handle on what God says. Before you come in here, there's this stuff that needs to be taken care of. I love you, I want you in here, but clean up. And I've provided the soap, and I've provided the water, and I've provided everything you need, but you need to go through that. Trust the way that I've given. Does that make sense? Is God not a God of reason and love and perfection? So the Word of God is very practical. And again, the the Scripture says that we've got to look at the Word to see what His Word teaches us about how we can be acceptable to Him. And... The word of God is living and powerful, and it even says here, sharper than any two-edged sword. I like to think of it in this way. It's like a scalpel. And so when you read the word of God, God's word, his Holy Spirit can come in, and he can speak to you in ways that I cannot. In fact, I'm sure he's using this message today to speak to each one of you individually because he knows what's going on in your life. I don't, but I'm just going to proclaim his word and trust that his spirit's going to use it to speak to you. But God, through his word, can come in and do spiritual surgery in your soul like a scalpel. He can go in and he can cut out that cyst of sin, that cancer of sin in your life. If you'll open your heart to his word, he'll remove that tumor that's in your brain of wrong thinking and wrong mindsets and worldly mindsets. And he says, let me, by my word, come in there and and I'm going to perform some surgery and I'm going to change your thinking. I'm going to get that unhealthy thing out of your mind. Let me heal you from this cancer of sin because he is 
the cure. Verse 14, it goes on, even after it says God's word's living and powerful, so we need to start there with taking him at his word and believing it. Then it goes into what God has done to provide the way to make us acceptable to him. In verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't be like Cain and just assume that because of your sin, you've done something too great, too wrong, that God could never want you again. And don't be like Cain and you choose to leave his presence. Look at what he has provided and the love that he is demonstrating. And he's holding his arms out to you. And he's saying, I want you to come into my presence. I've given you a high priest in Christ. I've given you an intercessor. I've given you one who has made the offering for you to make you acceptable to me. Trust him. Believe in him. Follow him. You see, Jesus is qualified and he offers help in battling the impact of sin in our life. Jesus said this. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. That's a relationship. Jesus says, I'm not like sin that's crouching at the door, waiting to catch you off guard when you're vulnerable. Hey, I'm standing. I'm not crouching. I'm standing right here and I'm knocking for all to see. And I want to come into your life. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Who are you going to open the door of your heart and life to? Christ offers us his presence. Who will you let in? Who will you listen to? Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your direction today. And uh, just even as you placed all of these thoughts in my mind as I've looked into your word. I pray that I've taught it according to your spirit today and uh, by the power of your spirit. Thank you for your presence, Lord, in my life. (laughs) I don't have to tell you because you know, but I just, again, publicly here before these people, um, I know my sin and I'm thankful, Lord, that you've offered me forgiveness and grace. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sin and rising again. Thank you for filling me with your spirit and, and guiding me. Thank you for what you've taught me, that, that in response to that love, uh, there's things that I need to, to, to put into practice in my life, to read your word, to pray, to learn, to be in fellowship with other believers, to, because you never meant for us to follow you alone. And so, Lord, if there's just anyone listening to this message today who hasn't yet opened their life to you, they've been opening the door to their mind and their heart to the wrong things for a long time, or they've been playing around, and um, I just pray, Lord, in this moment right now, you'll speak to their heart and help them to widely open the door and allow you to come into their life and to clean out every room in their house, so to speak. Rearrange the furniture of their life. Rearrange the priorities. Help them to understand what it truly means to have you in their life 
and help them to cooperate with your spirit. Because, Lord, you died and rose again that we might be set free from the bondage of sin and that we can have mastery over it because you are the master and you are in our lives and you are working your power in us. So, Lord, if there's anyone here today who's not trusted you, I pray in this moment right now they just open their life and pray and ask you in. And for those of us who have done that, Lord, help us to just ponder this and to recommit our lives to you, that we would honor you with our lives and not allow sin to dominate us because you never intended it to. And you've provided so much to set us free. Help us to learn to live in that freedom and that grace and to truly experience your love in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our closing song, and as we do, you're always welcome. If you want to come up and pray, we've got Stephen ministers that, uh, in fact, I'd just like to ask some Stephen ministers as the song is playing to come to the front, and that way, if you see a, if you're a lady, you want a lady to pray with you. If you're a guy, you want a guy to pray with you. I'll be here to pray with you. I know it's a bit of a heavy message today, but it's serious stuff, and we live in a world that's got so many problems. We need to stand for Christ.